I consider myself a fairly disciplined person, for the most part. I mean, I try to, you know, work out at least three or four times a week. It's been a little challenging since my gym just required that we have to wear a mask when we're on the treadmill, and that's a little bit tricky for me. But uh, nevertheless, somehow I'll manage. But yeah, I, I feel like you know I work out. I I try to eat right, you know, as much as I can. Uh, certainly, uh, try to eat the right things. Try to make sure I get enough sleep. Um, you know, I I spend time with the Lord regularly. You know, I have you know times where I'm in prayer and and fasting is something that I embrace and lots of different things like that. So in many ways, I, I feel like I'm I'm pretty I don't know. Pretty disciplined. And then someone will put a family size bag of Doritos in front of me. Out of great love for me, I know. But I then lose some of my discipline. And I may find myself eating that bag of Doritos, said bag of Doritos. And uh, I know that's not good. So it's funny how you, you, you find yourself, I don't know if you're like that, if you're like me, but we have times in our lives where we're disciplined at some things and maybe not so disciplined at other things. You know, I, I don't know if that's something that you've struggled with, but I mean, even people that are really neat freaks, and I'm not saying that in a, in a derogatory way, but some of you like things neat, you like things in order, no clutter. Who's the no clutter folks out here? Yeah, and folks online, yeah, no clutter. But even I've met some of y'all neat freaks. I consider myself one of those people. I don't like clutter. But if you go and open one of the drawers of my desk or whatever, clutter. But as long as I can close the drawer, right? Isn't that weird how we kind of have these extremes in our personalities where we're disciplined in one area but maybe not so disciplined in another? And, and we know this is true, right? The, the fact that, you know, we, we ought to get enough sleep, you know, we should, uh, everything in moderation, we should, should eat well, we should, you know, make sure we exercise, we should spend some time, you know, with the Lord, we should make sure we, we prioritize the right things in life. We know all these things are true. Why are they so hard? Why is it so hard sometimes to, 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 to maintain those, those proper things? Why is it so hard? One word, right? Discipline. We don't like that word because it sounds like we're being punished. Right? I don't want to be disciplined. That does not sound pleasant. Discipline, no. Easy, yes. Discipline, no. Discipline has that connotation to it. Yuck. We don't, we don't want that. But we know it's important. Well, we're continuing in this series we started a few weeks ago called Disrupted. And this is a series we've been looking at because we've all kind of been experiencing a lot of disruption the last several months. And we may be in this mode of disruption for many more months. We're not sure. But we started the series a few weeks ago, kind of looking at those areas of life where things are broken apart, right? We can define disrupted as things are broken apart. The normal course of action, the normal course of things has been thrown off. And we're, we're finding ourselves confused and kind of discombobulated in lots of areas in life, interrupted in our normal course. And our main theme throughout this series was, how do we navigate circumstances beyond our control? Not just to survive, but to actually thrive. 
And, and can faith in Jesus help us navigate circumstances beyond our control? And we talked about a little bit last week that disruption, if we just look at disruption in general, it can create a moment where we can pause and start asking ourselves some important questions. And we talked about this a little bit last week. Those questions include things like, well, what do I need to stop doing? Right? What are those things that I really haven't stopped long enough to think through? What are some things I need to stop doing? And here's a second question. What are some things that maybe I need to start doing that I know I probably should start doing? You know? Whether that be, for some of us, regular time with the Lord. You know, actual prayer time that we put in our schedule along with everything else. And making sure that we're in the, you know, with, with community, you know, with other people and relationships. And then the last question was, what do I improve? You see, disruption can actually create opportunities that, that help us stop and take kind of a, a, a look at everything. Maybe confront the brutal facts of our life and say, maybe, maybe God is speaking to me about some areas that need to change, some things that need to shift, and maybe I just wasn't paying attention to those things before. See, because we, we believe, I think this is true, your ability to navigate circumstances beyond your control really helps you to have that joy-filled life that the Lord wants us to have. Remember, he even said, I, I, I've come that you might have life and life abundant. And, and that means being able to navigate circumstances beyond our control. Well, I'm Pastor Ben. I'm so glad you're here. Whether you're with us online today, welcome, or you're here in person, it's exciting to be together in our weekly rhythm of Sundays. We celebrate on Sundays mainly because we celebrate Jesus Christ who a couple thousand years ago changed human history forever. He was the son of God. He came, was born in a miraculous way, lived a perfect life, was killed on a cross, but then rose again on a Sunday morning. And so ever since the day that he did that, his followers up until us right now, We've been worshiping as our regular rhythm on Sundays because we remember the resurrection. It was the game changer of all game changers. And you could argue easily that it was the whole shaping of Western culture. Jesus Christ. And that's why we gather. So we're glad that you're here today. Glad that whether you're online or here with us. Again, if you're, if you're brand new, we'd love to hear from you. If you've got a prayer request, we would love to hear that as well. But it's good to be together. We're going to be continuing this series, Disrupted. And we're going to look at... Uh, 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 how we can handle circumstances beyond our control. So let's pause for a moment and pray together. Father, as we come before you, we recognize that you're the King of kings and Lord of lords, and you're in charge. Father, we are disrupted. Many of us are in a number of different ways. And so, Lord, would you speak by the power of your Holy Spirit to each of our hearts. Help us to be able to navigate these uncharted waters. Help us to navigate these circumstances beyond our control, not just to survive, but to thrive. Father, help us to, to hear from you today by your word, and, and we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. So today we're, we're talking about something that happens when we're disrupted, and that is we, we tend to dis, kind of like let go of our disciplines. We kind of discard some of those disciplines. So that's what we're really going to be focusing on today. Just by way of review, if you weren't with us in week one, we talked about when we're disrupted, we need to kind of get back to the main things. And so week one, we talked about the idea, when we're disrupted, we need to focus on the basics again. You know, our health and well-being of ourselves and our family and our relationship with the Lord. Those are some basic things that we need to do. Last week, 
we talked about how our margin sometimes gets depleted during times of disruption. In fact, it was probably depleted before we got into disruption, but being disrupted kind of amplified and revealed places where we really haven't had a good margin in our life, whether that be physically or, or, or financially or even with our relationships and our rhythms have been off. So we need to we think through our margin again. That We need to, to make sure that we're, we're careful to have a buffer when things that are, are, are beyond our circumstances come our way. And that's what we talked about last week. Today let's talk a little bit more uh, about what we do with our disciplines during disruption. Well, what causes disruption? Certainly pandemics. Okay, that's a given. That can cause some disruption. But other things that cause disruption could be things that are beyond our control or even things that we control. Bad decisions. It could be a loss of relationship, a loss of a loved one. It could be a job change or, or being fired from a job. It, it could be maybe the loss of a, of, of a relationship, even being a victim of a crime or some kind of natural disaster. The point of all that is we as humans are going to face disruptions on a number of different levels, and it's going to happen to us throughout our lives, most likely. And when those disruptions happen, it leaves us feeling angry, confused, frustrated, even, even hopeless sometimes. And for many of us, we felt like those range of emotions this last several months, haven't we? We felt all of that because we're realizing the disruption really causes all these things to kind of unravel for us. But what happens with disruption is like everything changes in a heartbeat, right? Disruption happens, that death of a loved one, that, 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 that medical diagnosis that we weren't expecting. It's like everything changes in a heartbeat. And we're left to wonder, what do we do? And what does God say about that? Well, today I'm going to take us to a story in Scripture that you may not have thought dealt with disruption. But I want, to, I want to point this scripture out to you. This story is pretty amazing. So if you have a, a device or a Bible, start finding John chapter 11. Now this is sort of a famous story, uh, kind of a game changer in the first century. And this story echoes throughout time to us here today. And this whole thing, but we just don't have all the time to unpack. In fact, I was rereading this this morning and I realized... There's no way that we can unpack everything that's in this chapter. It is full and rich. So I encourage you this week to take time, go through John chapter 11. This whole thing is pretty amazing. Well, let's just kind of get into the story, then we'll, we'll talk about it a little bit. So in, in chapter 11, starting with verse 1, it says this, Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. Now, it was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother, Lazarus, was ill. So the sisters went to, or sent to him, saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. So the sisters sent Jesus word that Lazarus, his friend, was ill. And what happens next is sort of amazing and kind of weird, and I have lots of questions. What happens next is Jesus doesn't rush off right away to see Lazarus. I mean, probably that's one of the harder things to wrestle with in the story, right? If you, if you had a friend that needed you, or if they're in the hospital or whatever, you, you would tend to think, well, I got to get in the car right away and get there, right? That's what you would think. And so this story kind of comes at us a little strange that, that 
he's ill, and, and Jesus certainly loves this guy. He loves a family. They're good friends, but then delays going. If you know the story a little bit, he delays going. And then he starts thinking, well, uh, we're going we're gonna to go visit him now. So he delays a few days. Again, we could probably spend a lot of time just on that right there. But for the sake of time, we'll keep moving. The story continues. That, that Then Jesus said, you know, we need to go see him. And now his disciples are saying, no, 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 wait a minute. Uh, Jesus, people have it out for you right now. Uh, you're, you're not welcome around Jerusalem area. You know, that's where all the religious leaders are and the people that want to kill you. So we'd prefer that we don't go that way. You see, Jesus was around the Jordan somewhere, and he's saying we need to go to Judea, meaning that we need to go back to see Lazarus. Now, Lazarus was in Bethany, which is only like a mile or two from Jerusalem. So he's going back into basically the wasp nest or the hornet's nest. And the disciples were worried that his presence there would be like kicking the hornet's nest and, you know, speeding his arrest or maybe even his death. They don't know. Jesus says, no, we need to go do this. You know, Lazarus, I think they even use phrases like, you know, Lazarus has fallen asleep, and his disciples are like, well, he'll wake up at some point, right? And he's like, no, he has to tell him plainly, no, Lazarus has passed away, right? So this is like this whole setup is happening. So we got you know, Jesus getting the word, and then they delay it for a while, and then he, he wants to head back and see Lazarus, but he's already dead, and he's going back into the hornet's nest because all those people that are around that area want to hurt him, and they head to see Lazarus. They finally get there. And before he even really gets to the house or really gets into town, you know, he, he's visited by, by the sisters and they want to know, what, what was your delay? How come, how come you delayed? That's what we would ask. Why would, you de- why would you delay? What's going on? You, you know, you loved him. And so we have this whole the interaction with the sisters. And, and then Jesus, you know, he wants to go see the tomb. And the, the sisters are worried because Lazarus has been dead four days. So... You talk about disruption. Mary and Martha have had a pretty big disruption. And even when they thought, you know, we've got, we've got Jesus in our corner. We can, we can call him and he's going to fix it, but he doesn't come right away. And so Mary and Martha, they are, they are struggling. They have been disrupted. They're, they've lost their brother. Jesus is, is delayed in getting there. He's finally there. And, and so they're feeling disrupted. Jesus goes to the tomb and Jesus knows what he's going to do. He's going to do a miracle that will both inspire and seal the deal for himself. Isn't it interesting how something beautiful, like we're going to read here in a few minutes, something so beautiful can be viewed so differently. So he shows up, he says, roll back the stone. Everybody's worried because they're afraid the smell is going to happen. You know this story a little bit. Maybe, maybe you don't, that's okay. So they roll the stone aside because that was the way they used to seal them up, I guess. And, and then Jesus does something interesting. He looks up to heaven and he says this prayer. He has this kind of a mini conversation with God. And he's like, I already know you hear me, but for the sake of everybody around me, so they know that you and I have this thing, we're, we're good, I want them to know that the real power here is the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And so there's this interesting interaction where he spends some time vertically, but he's doing it horizontally for everybody around him. And then what does he do? He speaks the words that go down in human history. What does he say? Lazarus, come out. And I can just imagine the anticipation of everybody there. Like, they've never seen anything like this. 
And we have a mixed crowd. We have some family members. We have Mary and Martha. And La- they're, they're friends, right? They're, we've got family there. But then we also have like professional mourners, which was a thing, I guess, in the ancient Near East where they would hire people to kind of help you cry. A very interesting thing. Like how much do they get paid for that? I don't know. I could do that. But so this happens, and then you have some religious leaders that are kind of there, you know, because you're close to the, the, you know, the, the, the capital there, Jerusalem. So you have a mixed crowd. And Jesus says, Lazarus, come out. And you talk about another disruption. He's been dead for how long? What is that all about? He, he, like, he comes out. We're, we're, told he, the, we're just you know, kind of reading what they're we're telling us here. The, the, the biological or the, the biographical account is saying that he, he, he stood up and, and kind of walked out of the tomb. But he's still wrapped in this you know, burial shroud or cloth. I, I've never seen... You know, a funeral like that, you know, I've never seen that sort of thing, you know, but he's, he's kind of wrapped up. And I mean, what is he thinking right now? He comes out of this tomb and he's like, well, hey, everybody, uh, is there a party? I mean, does he remember? You know, does it, you know what, what happens to, what does he do after this? You know, there was that book, you know, 90 Minutes in Heaven. Is he writing the 507? 5,760 5, minutes in, in heaven. It's about four days. Anyway, 96 hours. Is that what he's writing? But, but what is he thinking? You talk about two very different disruptions. You have Mary and Martha who lose their brother. It's very, very sad. Then you have the brother restored to them. And we kind of move forward. I mean, was he kind of a superhero in the early church for a while? You know, history doesn't really tell us a lot about what happened afterward. But i got to imagine, Lazarus had all kinds of questions. I mean, did it feel like he was asleep for four days? You know? Is he a little stiff? You know? Did he keep those burial cloths? You know, just as a reminder. And, and when did he die for good? Like, he died again. And, I mean, just, just think through how crazy it is. Look, for those of us in Christ... I'm thankful that we get to go and have that conversation someday with Lazarus in new heavens and new earth, right? We get to actually say, okay, Lazarus, tell us what happened. Tell us the rest of the story because we're dying to know what that was like. But total disruption from both sides. Look, we may not face that sort of disruption, right? We're not, we may not face that. I mean, that's a pretty crazy story. In fact, again, read John 11 just really let some of that soak in. You know, Jesus even wept for him. The words there for Jesus weeping are very powerful words. Like, he really loved this family. And so some of us memorize that in Bible camp. Jesus wept. Shortest passage in the Bible, right, for memory verses. But his, his depth of emotion and love, he was mourning with everyone else. And that reminds me of something. If you're going through something difficult, do you know that God leans in with you and he mourns too? His heart beats heavy for you too. His heart hurts when we're hurting. That should feel good. I mean, not feel good, but that should feel comforting that, that God loves and cares for us too. He's, he's, he's crying out for that pain, and he, he feels our pain, and he cares about us. Look, when we face disruptions, and maybe it's something a little less than, than a death or a resurrection, but when we're facing disruptions, oftentimes we will let things go. Our disciplines slide out the window, our priorities, our margin, our daily routines, our perspective, you see, I think, in disruption gets distorted. 
As someone once said, when we're disrupted and have a really tough kind of interruption in our life, we begin to look at the world through our emotion. And sometimes that's not always an accurate picture, right? And I heard one, one scholar say that when you're, when you're, you're facing disruption, you're looking through these lenses of, 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 of distortion a little bit because of its emotion, all the emotion we're feeling. And, and that's like being a little bit short-sighted, that we're, we're, we're not really seeing the full picture because of our emotions. And those are real things, right? Those are real things, but it can kind of cloud our perception. And that happens when we're disrupted. And look, even though we're pretty sure disruption is not going to be with us forever, we still wonder what God's up to, right? And our emotions sometimes make it difficult for us to kind of navigate that. It's very difficult. In fact, one of the early church leaders, a guy named Paul, we talked about him uh, last week, I think, but, but, but Paul wrote in, in his letter to the Corinthians, 1 Corinthians, in 13. Now, most people know 1 Corinthians 13 if you've ever been to a wedding because we call it the love chapter. But there's actually some interesting things in here that Paul says about our perception right now. And here's what he says. And I'm going to read uh, 1 Corinthians 13, verse 12, out of the message version. Listen to this. We don't see things clearly. We don't yet see things clearly. We're squinting in a fog, peering through a mist, but it won't be long before the weather clears and the, sh the sun shines bright. And we'll see it all then. See it all as clearly as God sees us, knowing him directly just as he knows us. We're kind of peering through the fog. And many of us have felt like we've been in the fog for months. We're kind of peering, but we don't see everything completely. And, and oftentimes our emotions are, hard, are making it hard for us to see the bigger picture. Right? And so sometimes that just kind of throws all those disciplines out, out the window. Paul knew that he wasn't seeing clearly yet, but one day he would. And, and, and I think Paul, and like, uh, like Paul does, and we can in the same way, we can remember some of those timeless truths. Like Isaiah 40, verse 8 says, The word, or the grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of our God endures forever. Those are those timeless truths that we can hang on to, even when we're looking through a bit of a distorted lens of emotion. So when we're disrupted, what can we do? Let's get practical. When we're disrupted, like we are now, what do we do? Here's some things I think that are helpful to remember. There are three things. The first one is this. That feelings or things are not always as they appear. Things are not always as they appear. Right? We're looking through those, those lenses, but sometimes they can be distorted by our emotion and our feelings at the moment. But look, things are not always as they appear. Here's the second thing. Feelings can be deceptive. Right? Feelings can be deceptive. Now, we've all had you know, strong emotions about things, but sometimes we've even recognized, and I've done this too, I get all excited or frustrated at something, and then I realize it was completely off base. Like, I got really excited and passionate about something, but it was really, I was kind of misguided. And that can happen. Feelings kind of do that. We can't always control that. You know, they just come, and we're not even sure if there's good facts behind our feelings. We just feel it. And those are real, but they may not always be right. So feelings can be deceptive. Here's the third thing. This is so important. God is bigger than we allow him to be sometimes. God is bigger than we allow him to be sometimes. He's got kind of a bigger view. He's got like a longer-term view, a bigger perspective. And sometimes it's hard for us when we're going through something, and we've got emotions going on, we're feeling disrupted. It's hard for us to, to, to have that kind of perspective. But God is bigger than we allow him to be sometimes. 
Things are not always as they appear. Feelings can be deceptive. And God is bigger than we allow him to be. There's a, a VeggieTales song that I remember from when, when my kids were, were littler, back in the 90s, way back, way back then. And, and there was this uh, song that was in one of the VeggieTales videos. Anybody remember VeggieTales? You guys online, anybody? Okay, they still have those, right? They're in syndicate. But um, there was a song, God is bigger than the boogeyman. He's bigger than Godzilla. Okay, I won't sing the whole thing. But that idea of reminding us that God is bigger than, than, than we allow him to be sometimes. There's a book that is called Zoom. And it really illustrates this idea of having a, a, a bigger perspective. This book, Zoom, is written by this guy, Istvan Banya. I don't know if I'm saying that right. But he wrote, the, or kind of actually created this book, which doesn't really have much words in it, but it's pictures. And so here's kind of how the book works. Is that you start with something like these, this, this shape, right? This shape over here, and that's like the first page of the book. And there's all these just pictures in the book, that's all it is. And what it's doing is, when you see that picture, you're not really sure what you're looking at. But then you kind of bring yourself back a little bit, and you realize you're looking at a rooster. And then this keeps going. So pretty soon you realize you go out a little bit farther, and this rooster is, is in a, in a, uh, like a, a barn with, with uh, some other animals. And then you keep going and going, and pretty soon it's zooming out and zooming out, and pretty soon you realize I'm looking at an ad in a magazine. Then you keep going, and you realize I'm on a boat. And then you, it just keeps going like that in the book. And what is that showing us? Sometimes through the lens of emotion, or when we're disrupted, we get this narrow view, and we forget that God has a bigger perspective. In fact, the way the book ends, I'll spoil it. Anybody know this book, by the way? Anybody know this book? Okay. We can represent there. But what happens is when you're finally to the end of the book, you realize you're kind of looking at Earth from the universe. You know? But it just, it's, a good, it's a good metaphor, right, of how sometimes we get these blinders on and we forget, because of our emotion and everything that we're disrupted, we forget to have a bigger, broader perspective. God has a bigger perspective. God is bigger than we allow him to be. It reminds me of uh, Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11, if you know that, it's kind of like the, the heroes of the faith a little bit. And it's a, it's a great chapter. But Hebrews 11 talks about all the kind of the heroes of the faith. But, but in, in, in verse 26, we get a glimpse of one of those heroes, a guy named Moses, who was really important in the Old Testament. He brought the, the people of Israel, the Hebrew people that would become the nation of Israel, brought them out of slavery in Egypt. It's a great story. If you've never read that story, it's in Exodus, the book of Exodus in the Old Testament part of the Bible. But Moses, he was, he was trying to follow God. And now Moses wasn't perfect. He was a leader trying to follow what God asked him to do, and, and he had some ups and downs, but he was, he was listening to the Lord. But one thing that we know about Moses, he didn't always get to see the full picture. In fact, Moses was so instrumental in bringing the people out of slavery and everything, and they were supposed to go to the promised land. Did you know that Moses never got to set foot in the promised land? He had to see it from afar. And in Hebrews eleven twenty six, this is speaking of Moses here now. Let me read it to you. He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking ahead to his reward. See, sometimes we get two of a short-term view and we're not thinking about the broader, longer-term perspective and that God has plans that are, that are greater than just what's going on right now or even what's going on in our world right now. God has a greater perspective. It's important for us to get that. So when we feel that we're disrupted and we're not sure what to do, 
we would do well to focus on what we know is true rather than what we feel, right? Because feelings, man, they're all over the map, aren't they? Right now, I mean, if we're focusing on feelings, it is not a bleak picture right now. I'm angry and frustrated just like you are. I can't focus on my feelings, so I know that I've got to focus on what I know is true. Focus on what I know is true. In fact, here's some truths that we can focus on. You know, every Christmas we sing songs that have the word Emmanuel in it. That means God with us. Jesus himself promised to never leave us or forsake us. God's ways are mysterious. But when we're disrupted, let's focus on what we know is true rather than just what we feel. And let's picture God's perspective. Picture God's perspective. Just like that goofy little book I showed you. Picture this idea of God's perspective, which is way longer term. And we would do well to remember that things aren't always as they appear, that feelings can be deceptive, and once again, God is bigger than what we allow him to be. And so when we're disrupted, we can picture God's perspective. And instead of throwing out our disciplines, you can do what I've tried to do, which is double down on things like prayer and scripture reading, even memorizing scripture, and, and, and making sure that I remember his promises to us. This is what you and I can do in a practical way so that we don't discard those disciplines when we're disrupted. I want to end with this. Paul David Tripp wrote a book a few years ago called Gospel Hope When Life Doesn't Make Sense. And listen to what he, he encourages us all with. But in all the emotional and spiritual ups and downs, on the good days and the bad days, when you fight or succumb, one thing is for sure. Your Lord is with you, and there is no struggle without or war within that will ever drive him away. And his presence guarantees that in your suffering, you will have everything you need. Let's focus on what we know is true, not what we feel. You know, focus on those promises that he'll never leave us or forsake us. That we can cast all our cares on him because he cares for us. Those are big promises. His ways are mysterious, yes, but we can picture God's perspective when we're in disruption and remember to do those basic things. I want to pray here in a minute for us, but if you're here today with us in, in person or you're online today, again, thank you for joining us. If you've never made a decision to make Jesus your Lord and Savior, you can do that today. We would love to hear that that was your decision. And it's very simple. How do I do that, Ben? Well, it's very simple. It starts with faith. Believing that not only is God is who he says he is, but that he sent his son Jesus to be born in a miraculous way, live a perfect life, die on a cross for all of our sin, but then be risen to new life, changing the course of human history. That is faith. It starts there. And then, and then we repent. The idea of repentance is you were going your own way and it wasn't working. Sin was something you couldn't take care of. It was, you, were, you were enslaved to it. And so repentance means to turn another direction and turn and follow Jesus. That's repentance. And then confession, that's the next kind of part of it. And the confession is I'm just going to tell the world, I'm going to tell my family, I'm going to tell, tell everyone that I need Jesus as my Savior and I accept him as my Lord. And then you're, you're baptized into Christ. That is, in Christian baptism, you're buried in Christ's death, but raised in his life as you're raised out of that water. It's a beautiful thing. And then you begin walking the way of Jesus, step by step in Christian community. If that's your decision today, we would love to hear from you on that. Or if you just need a prayer request, please do that too. And if you've been following Jesus for a while, hey, let's, let's look at making sure we focus on what we know is true, not always just what we feel.
Let's pray. Father, we come before you. We thank you for your love, your faithfulness, your mercies are new every morning. Oh, it's so good that we can approach your throne with confidence because of Jesus, your son. Father, I pray for everyone listening right now, either online or in person, Father, that you would do a mighty work in our hearts and that we would remember to, to try to have your perspective on things, to have a longer, uh, longer term perspective and that we wouldn't focus so much on what we feel but focus on what we know is true, that you love us, you care for us, that you're with us and you'll never forsake us. Father, I pray that that would be some promises we would take into this week. And Lord, thank you for your scripture. Thank you for your word. And Father, do a mighty work through us as a church family to bring your, your mission of love to our community and our world. We pray all this in Jesus' name.